Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and we're reading today from the Free Grace Broadcaster, quarterly put out by the people of Mount Zion Bible Church in Pensacola, Florida. The topic this quarter is stumbling blocks, and to speak about it one more time is James Durham, who lived back in the 17th century, was a Presbyterian Scottish minister. He's listing things about stumbling blocks, about offenses, and we're on number 11 today. Offenses differ according to who is offended. We may consider offenses with respect to who is offended. We offend friends, those whom we do not desire to grieve. Inadvertently, we cause them to stumble and hurt their spiritual condition by dealing with them unfaithfully, by worldliness in conversing with them, by siding with their infirmities, and in many similar ways. We offend enemies, or at any rate those who we do not regard as friends. We cause these people to stumble when they are provoked through the carnality of our ways to judge us harshly or to judge religion harshly because of us or to use some worldly-wise scheme to oppose something we have done in a worldly-wise way when we irritate them, provoke their anger, and so on. People in debates are often guilty of giving offense in this way, whether their controversy is in civil, ecclesiastical, or academic things. Even when they are in the right, they do not act tenderly and persuasively toward their opponents in the debate so as to make it apparent that they seek the good of their soul and their edification even when they differ from them. We offend those who are wicked or profane, possibly heathens, whether Jews or Gentiles. They are offended when they are hardened in their impiety by the insensitivity and uncharitableness of those who are professedly tender. In this way, it is a fault to give offense either to Jews or Gentiles just as it is a fault to give offense to the church of God. We offend weaker brethren and stronger brethren. Weaker brethren often stumble when there is no real reason to stumble, and their stumbling vents itself readily by rashly judging and censuring others who are stronger than themselves, for going beyond their light or because they seem to despise them. This also shows how the stronger brethren give offense by despising the weaker and inviting the weaker brethren to come to hasty, censorious conclusions about them. This is why these two are put together. Let not him that eateth, that is, him that is strong, despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not, that is, the weak, judge him that eateth. All of that's in Romans 14.3. Number 12. Some offenses tempt people to sin, others weaken their holiness. We can distinguish between offenses that directly incline or tempt people to sin, either in doctrine or practice, and offenses that more indirectly scare people away from holiness, and either divert them from it or make them fainter and weaker in pursuing it, either in truth or practice. For example, a blemish in the character or reputation of someone who professes to be a Christian can make Christianity to be abhorred in one way or another. This happens especially when ministers and professing believers who are eminent become offensive. That's like a dead fly in the box of the apothecary's ointment, which makes it all stink. In this way, the priests made the people stumble at the law, 
as also did the sons of Eli. This is what David was accused of, that by his fall he made the heathen blaspheme. Similarly, contention and division among ministers and disciples is said to stand in the way of the world believing in Christ. Number 13. Offenses can be caused either in worship or in everyday life. Sometimes scandal is given in immediate duties of religious worship, such as praying, preaching, conferring, speaking, and judging, for example, in church courts, either by saying something that is wrong or by an irreverent, light, or impassioned manner. Other times, scandal is given by our ordinary and everyday way of behaving, such as our eating and drinking, the way we dress, our manner of living, our buying and selling. We give scandal when something about our manner in these things gives evidence of pride, vanity, inconstancy, covetousness, being addicted to pleasure, having a worldly attitude, or some other thing by which our neighbor is wronged. A husband may offend his wife and a wife her husband by conversing together in an irreligious manner so that one strengthens the other to think that exactness in religion is not so necessary after all. In the same way, an employee who professes to be a Christian may cause an employer to stumble if they are not faithful and diligent in their work. Number 14. Sometimes offense is not given until it is taken. Sometimes offense is given from the doing of the action in the first place, for example, where there is any appearance of evil. Alternatively, offense may at first only be taken without being given, and yet afterward become given, and make the person guilty of giving offense, even though they had not been guilty of giving offense to start with. For example, imagine a man eating without respect to difference of meats, foods, as he is allowed to do. Seeing this matter is in itself indifferent. Now, imagine that someone tells him that this food had been offered to an idol, and therefore in his judgment it is not lawful to eat it. Then, although to start with, offense was not given but only taken, because the man who ate the food didn't know that there was anyone present who would be offended by his eating, yet if he continued after that to do the same thing, it would then be an offense given on his side. Alternatively, imagine you know that someone has taken offense at you or your behavior in a thing indifferent, even though you have given no real reason to take offense. If you then do not endeavor to remove the offense as far as you are able, in that case the offense becomes given also, not only taken, because you are not removing the stumbling block out of your brother's way. Number 15. Some offenses happen by accident. Others come from bad habits. Some offenses may be said to be given from infirmity, that is, when they proceed from a particular slip-up by the person who offends, when the person does not continue in that behavior or stick to it or defend it, or when they fall into this behavior not knowing that it would be offensive. Yet once they know it is offensive, they endeavor to remove the offense. On the other hand, other offenses are more rooted and confirmed, such as when a person does them as their habitual behavior, does not take much care to prevent them or remove them, is not much weighed down by a burden for them, but rather minimizes them or defends them. 
This way of distinguishing offenses corresponds to the distinction that is sometimes made between sins of infirmity and sins of malice. As long as we remember that malice does not refer to the person's intent, but to the nature of the act, we can use the same distinction here for offenses. Number 16. Some scandals are private and some are public. We can distinguish between scandals in private and scandals in public. Both of these may further be understood in two ways, either in respect of the witnesses or in respect of their own nature and must therefore be dealt with publicly or privately. In respect of witnesses. A scandal that is private in respect of witnesses is one that offends few because it was not known to many people. On the other hand, a scandal that is public in respect of witnesses is known to many. This means that the same offense may be a private offense to one person at one time and in one place and a public offense to the same person at a different time and place. And then in respect of its own nature. A scandal that is private in respect of its own nature is one that possibly causes many people to stumble, yet is not of such a nature as publicly, legally, or judicially it might be shown to be scandalous in a way that would convince either the person offending or others, although it may make a great impression on the hearts of those who know it. Someone could be exceedingly offensive in the general course of their way and behavior, even though they are civil, legal, and fair in all particulars, because their way of life displays to the consciences, even of those who are most terrible to them, a great deal of vanity, pride, earthly-mindedness, a lack of tenderness, a lack of love and respect, and the like. These things say in the heart of the beholders that there are many things wrong with that person, when yet no specific instances can be given where the person would not have valid legal answers. Offenses of this sort include starting to ask questions at an inappropriate time or uh, doubtful disputations. Possibly the person may assert something that is true, yet by raising such issues at such times and in such expressions, all they do is confuse and shake the weak. These offenses especially arise from the impression you have that the person is not aiming at an honorable goal, or that they are being extreme in the way they are going about it, or trying to punch above their weight and such like. You can be quite convinced from observing the person's way of acting that something like this is their problem, yet this is not a public offense in the sense spoken of here, because you could never demonstrate these faults in a court of law or prove it to be, uh, to prove it to some inconvinced, unconvinced observer. An example of this would be Absalom's insinuating, self-seeking way, which gave evidence of pride. Another example would be those of whom Paul speaks. Some preached out of envy. Others sought their own things. Paul was convinced of this by what he could discern himself, yet these characteristics did not form the basis of any sentence that could be passed on them. On the other hand, offenses that are public in respect of their own nature are those that can be substantiated with evidence before others or which can be shown to be against God's law. 
Examples would include drunkenness or swearing. And these may be called ecclesiastical offenses because they bring you under church discipline. Those that are private in respect of their own nature may be called conscience wounds or charity wounding offenses because you have to deal with them with conscience and charity and they wound conscience and charity and are judged by conscience and charity. These offenses may call for a private Christian admonition, but they cannot call for public reproof in a church court. Number 17. Some scandals are first-hand. Others are second-hand. Some scandals are immediate, that is, when we hear or see what is offensive first-hand from the person himself. Other scandals are immediate or second-hand. The very reporting of something that is true may be offensive to those to whom it is reported. For example, it may alienate them from or stir them up against another person. Or it may prompt some sinful, bad temper, or incite them to some corrupt course of action, or any way provoke them to carnality. In this way, offense differs from slander, for slander affects and wrongs the person who is spoken of, who may be absent from the slander when it's spoken, while offense causes those who are present to stumble. Nevertheless, the same act in a person may be both a slander and an offense on different occasions. Ziba slandered Mephibosheth, but at the same time he offended David and caused him to stumble. Although David was not so displeased with him as Mephibosheth was. And so also Doeg slandered David and the priests in a thing that was actually true, but at the same time offended Saul. Number 18, some offenses are explicit, some are implicit. Some things offend others explicitly, as when a minister fails in giving an admonition prudently or seasonably. Again, some things offend implicitly. For example, a minister gives his judgment seasonably, but in an area he has not entered into formerly, and so he does not have such capacity to edify his hearers with his admonition. In this way, Paul prevented offense when, by becoming all things to all, he laid the groundwork for people to find his teaching acceptable. And then number 19, some offenses are harmful and some hold people back. Some offenses may be outright harmful and hurtful to people's spiritual welfare. Others may still be damaging, but only comparatively in the sense that they keep people from the growth and edification they would otherwise have enjoyed. It is a stumbling block by being a comparative loss to their spiritual well-being. And there you have it. My, my. I imagine you're under a certain amount of conviction and maybe a little confusion by now. He said so many things. I don't want to be offensive to you by trying to lighten the load of these words, but I do believe that walking in the Spirit, staying close to the Lord in prayer and in fellowship with God's people will keep you from most of these things. Be careful. We're being told by Brother Durham to be careful. Well, the Free Grace Broadcaster, you can have this free periodical sent to you every three months. Just send an email to chapel 
at mountzion.org. You'll be blessed with the articles that are in this quarterly. And this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on 12-7-2022. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.